0: Father, we do pray. Um, just thank you for the conversations that uh, we've been able to have this week. Thank you for the one that Jeffrey was able to have with his coworker, and even to start that conversation. I pray there would be follow-up, and there would be, um, Lord, the opportunity to um, speak clearly about what you say about good and evil, um, and how you are purely good and will eradicate evil. Um, from your um, creation, from your universe, O oh Lord God. So we just pray for wisdom for Jeffrey. Thank you for him um, being able to have that conversation. Pray for Rachel, and for us all, O oh Lord God, that you would give us a quickness of mind, a readiness um, when we talk to people, and and even um, uh, even if it feels clumsy, even if it feels um, just awkward, Lord, to to follow up on cracks that we and 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 uh, that we see in the conversation that we can. Um, at least edge toward uh, or go directly towards a spiritual conversation. So I just pray that you give us boldness, courage, pray that you give Rachel wisdom now in her uh, role of taking on clients and having more of that freedom. Just pray that you give her discernment and how to do that. Uh, Lord, we do pray for Gary. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know the situation, uh, why he's in the hospital, what's going on. But we pray for our brother that you would please comfort him that you would encourage him, that he would be mindful of you and uh, thinking truths of you. Lord, we pray that you would give the doctor skill and wisdom in discerning what is wrong. Lord, we pray for this morning as we continue thinking about, in a sense, kind of culminating your um, attributes in our discussion of you. And Lord, we just feel the um, the inadequacy of speaking about you. Lord, even when you give us language, even when you give us concepts, Lord, we know we just see the Uh, the outskirts of your ways. And Lord, we want to know you more, and we long for eternity where we will know you more. But Lord, for what we do know, we pray that we would handle it well. We pray that we would worship you rightly and delight in you. So we just ask for your blessing on this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, we've kind of, just to kind of back up where we've been. So we've talked about what it means to know God. We've talked about God as Trinity. We have talked about Um, God is creator, God is eternal. We talked through um, kind of the list that God, uh, a a, a significant list of attributes that God ties to his name. We did that from Exodus 34. Um, Worked through each one of those. Uh, In the last few weeks, we've been talking about, you know, kind of God's abilities. So God's knowledge, God's presence, God's decree on what we talked about last week. And so at this point, it's not that there are not other things that we could talk about in um, in knowing God, but we've covered a lot of kind of the main areas. And so what we kind of want to end with is, um, you might put it this way, kind of summary. It's not summary. Summary, there we go, uh, attributes of who God is. Uh, And so particularly we're talking about God's glory and his holiness. Uh, And so we've talked about those topics uh, before actually a couple of years ago when we were talking about the idea of sanctification and holiness and how we grow in holiness. So some of this will be review and just refreshing, um, but uh, this is where we want to kind of end. If we've kind of paraded through many of God's attributes and what he does, well now uh, we want to talk about well, how does, how does um, what, what's the terminology? What are the concepts that sum those up? And those are going to be the concepts of glory and holiness, which are not the same, but they are very much related in a particular way. So that's where we're going, and with that, we will, like I said, finish this series, and then uh, I think we'll take a break um, until the new year, and then we will start talking about prayer, Um, which is appropriate, right? We've talked about uh, who is is God, Um, and so now that we've talked about who God is, like, how do we relate to him? How do we talk with him? Um, We're focusing on that. So, Let's talk about first the idea and the concept of God's glory. So again, some of these will be reviewed. You'll remember some of this discussion from before. Um, the basic idea of the, at least the Old Testament word um, for God's glory is this word kavod, which means at a basic, its basic sense is the idea of weight, heaviness. Uh, an extension of that basic sense is if you're talking about the glory of just some random person uh, you might also t- it might be used to talk about their wealth or their honor okay so uh, this is like someone's consequence that's kind of an old way of talking about it kind of a British way I guess but um, someone's significance um, but that's kind of this Old Testament idea. the basic sense of the word that is normally used for God's glory is Got the sense of weight, okay? Um, Now, if we were to look at Exodus, at several passages, we'd be able to kind of hone in on this sense of what does God's glory actually mean? What does that concept mean? We can throw that around. Um, You know, I don't know if you've thought about this. All the terminology we throw around as Christians, we use it, but then it's very profitable to take a step back often and think about, do we understand what that concept means, Um, And so one of those concepts would definitely be glory. And so let's go to a few passages in Exodus just to kind of hone in on the concept of God's glory. Um, Go to Exodus 14. Exodus 14, um, 17 through 18. This is in the context of crossing the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. Um. And it's kind of, in a sense, the culmination of at least getting the people out of Egypt, right? This is kind of the last stage of getting the people out of Egypt. Um, so someone go ahead and read Exodus 14, 17 through 18. So, um, what do you see about God's whatever God's glory means? Like, what what is it? What do we see, kind of its relationship in this particular verse? Verses. Sure. Yes, yeah, so there's a competition between Pharaoh's glory, God's glory, and then why is God going to display his glory? What does he say? What? Yes. For what purpose? What purpose does God say that he's going to do this? Yeah, and he uses a particular phrase, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And so even as we think about the broad context of this series we've been going through, through for a long time now, um, this is God displays his glory so that he is known. Well, let's think about that for a second, right? So if it's God's glory, God's weight, um, his honor, um, he's tying that with knowing who he is. So you kind of see that in a, a large sense that knowing uh, that God's glory is dis- is intimately tied with kind of the total package of knowing who God is. Um, so that's one thing we see here. Um, we also see that that kind of competition between at least Pharaoh and, um, and, and God. Okay, let's look at another kind of dis- display in Exodus of God's glory. Let's go to Exodus 24. Exodus 24 is kind of um, it's a key moment uh, where in some sense the covenant is being Sealed, kind of finally ratified uh, the Israelite covenant at Mount Sinai. Um, so, in this context, um, what happens is, and I read in the passage a couple weeks ago, and in Matthew, or at least alluded to it, that um, there's the sealing of the covenant by sacrifice, the blood of the covenant. People enter into it, and then all the elders uh, and the priests, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they go up and they get to see, in some sense, God. Um, but in that connection I want us to read Exodus twenty-four, sixteen and seventeen. So, what do we see about God's glory here? Trying to understand what it means, what it indicates when we talk about this concept. We're looking at these different passages to get glimpses and understandings of that concept. At least here, what do we see primarily?
1: There's a certain element of
0: tangibleness to it. Very much, yeah. So, in this case, it's very visible, right? It's tangible in that it's visible. Um, So, it's kind of interesting because we talk about The fundamental word that's used is kind of connotes weight or significance which we think about the last verse we looked at uh okay um the weight of who god is so that they may know uh but here there's the more a different facet of it where it's the visibleness of this this glory it shows up as a consuming fire so there's this connection with light uh it also connects with what Moses saw when he first went up Mount Sinai, way back in Exodus 3, right? He, he sees a burning bush, right? Um, he sees the presence of God. Um, he sees his uh, glory, uh, at least manifested in a sense, through a consuming fire, right? Um, so that's kind of what we see here. So glory is often associated um, with that visibleness. There's a tangibleness to it even um, that we can see. Uh, We see that also, even when uh, the tabernacle is constructed, um, both uh, um, God's glory enters the tabernacle. It enters, it fills it, so there's that tangibleness again. Uh, In particular, God's glory is, you know, it's associated with his presence that is in the Holy of Holies. Okay, so, and that's very much uh, a key feature of, of what's going on in Exodus. He's bringing these people out, but now, the, uh, now this God is dwelling with this people, and that is manifested, his presence dwelling with his people by his glory settling, being seen, and in particular in connection with the tabernacle and later the temple, uh, with God's presence filling it, manifesting in the Holy of Holies in particular. Okay, um, So th- th- um, more insight on God's glory. Let's go back to another key passage in Exodus, uh, Exodus 33. Uh, we spent some time here, especially in 34. But this whole segment where the golden calf has happened, it's a disaster, it's a debacle. Uh, Moses is interceding for the people. And I'll go ahead and read this one um, and I'll start in verse 18 of Exodus 33, and then I'll continue on to into chapter 34. I might skip a few verses in between, but Moses said, please show me your glory. So God is saying, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep my, he, he turns away from destroying the people. Uh, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to keep going with you. I'm going to be with you. But Moses is like, well, if I'm going to keep going, I need, I need, I need to see your glory. Uh, which is interesting in and of itself, right? That, that Moses um, perceives God's glory as something that's going to energize him. That's going to give him the wherewithal to do what God's calling him to do. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to him, I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and then you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So let's pause there, and let's think about what do we see about God's glory in relation to. Because that's what Moses is asking for. What does God say about it? Yeah, especially in a fallen world, as fallen creatures, um, there, there's limits. Uh, what are the limits, that at least describe how God describes those limits? What's that? Yeah, I can't see his face. Now, um, we understand that that is metaphorical language in the sense that um, what does face communicate? It's like when you're looking at someone's face... You're seeing that person. You're relating to that person in their fullness, right? Vers- their What's that? Their More of their yeah. So it's kind of and and throughout Scripture, the face of God um, is is used, um, you know, as that metaphor to describe you being before God's presence, you're being in His favor, even. But here, the idea is like. The kind of the full blast of who God is. Uh, God says, you can't do that and live. Um, but I'll show you my backside. And does God show Moses' glory? Yeah, he says he is. Just not uh, the full blast of it, uh, the full package of it, uh, the full nakedness of it, um, if you will, right? Again, we get this tangible aspect of God's glory, we also get the sense that God's glory is dangerous if it's mishandled. Uh, we also get this connection with um, the, the God's glory is connected with just his being, who he is in his fullness, right? And then there's this display, this manifestation of it, uh, that if it's mishandled. Uh, but God, God says, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll make my glory pass by you. So um, Moses makes preparations, and I'm going to cut ahead to Exodus 34, verse 5, which we spent a lot of time in this passage. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And, and we see this is a synonym even for God's glory, right? His name, right? Um, the, the name is not just, oh, here's what you call me. It's, it's this communication of the sense of all of who God is. Uh, Yahweh passed before him, And proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance." So God's glory passes by, but as God's glory is passing by, what does he do? He proclaims his attributes. So again, you see that connection between God's glory as kind of the sum, sum total weight, if you will, of who God is. And he's connecting that with his name, connecting that with his presence. Really, God's glory is, is, is it's connected to the fundamental like, totality of who he is, um, the weight of that. Yes, Tony?
1: Mm-hmm. He said, I will make all my goodness mm-hmm. before you and will, will proclaim before you my name, mm-hmm. Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy.
0: Yeah. So yep. Yep. So really, when we think about God's glory, we're thinking about kind of the sum total weight of who God is. Um, and it's not just the intrinsic weight, but it's also the manifestation of that right both are true uh it's like the sun right so uh the sun uh kind of the intrinsic reactions and uh nuclear reactions that are happening in the heart of the sun and creating all of this very tangible very devastating um reality but then it's manifested it's not just blank sitting out there right it it man, it's manifested the weight and the significance of what is going on there is displayed visibly um, so that's a helpful analogy maybe for for God's glory and I think one that scripture also uses yeah yeah.
1: hmm And
0: there's Peter to a what there? I I mean we would uh, we would to in conjunction with Exodus 34, we would have to say they saw a manifestation, a portion of God's glory, a true representation of God, but not the full blast. That's kind of how I think about as scripture talks, because there are times, right, where scripture um, says things like this, right, like they saw God, um, or like Ezekiel, one and two, and the crazy like vision he has, right, or other things, or even to fast forward to the New Testament, right, Uh, Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? So, does that mean that you're seeing the full, like, think of that analogy of God's face. Does that mean you're seeing the full, unhindered, like, naked presence of God? No. Like, you can see God truly without seeing him full blast. Even when we see Jesus, right, his, his the full, like, his glory is cloaked. Just, and in, in fact, that imagery of, um, especially in John 1, uh, and, well, and John as the, in the book as a total, uh, that imagery of the tabernacle, right? In the tabernacle, you get a manifestation of God's glory, right? It's cloaked, it's veiled, but that's what happens to Jesus, right? He is, um, the full significance and weight of him being the eternal son is cloaked, like a tent. In fact, that's why that's why John uses that language of he tabernacled, not just he dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us, Right? Um, so even when we're seeing Jesus, we are seeing God's glory on display. But are we seeing it full, blast, naked presence? No. The only time that seems to happen, um, well, it hasn't happened yet, because God says, man shall not see me and live. But you fast forward to the very end of the story, right? Um, it says in uh it's either the last few verses of Revelation twenty one or the first few of Revelation twenty two. Uh, they shall see his face, uh, which is you can't see his face uh, in, uh, until f- the fullness of redemption happens. But then, and then um, you can you can dwell in God's presence. You can behold his glory, which is good because. Uh, remember what Moses asked for. Moses asked for, show me your glory. Why? Because he knows that's going to give him the wherewithal, the life, the vigor to do what he's calling him to do. Um, what happens when he get, Moses gets down from, I think it's the end of 34, Exodus 34, he gets down from Mount Sinai. What happens? His face is shining. Yeah, his face is shining, right? So God's glory transforms, right? It has this This kind of tangibleness, but not only a tangibleness, it's transformative. God's glory is transformative. Paul makes a big case for this in 2 Corinthians, the the latter part of 3. Well, kind of the whole part of 3 in a sense, but the latter part of 3 into 4. And he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so there's this idea of God's glory that it's not only... Uh, the intrinsic weight of who God is—it's not only manifested, but it also transforms. It's also life-giving. Moses knew that because he's like, "I need to see your glory because it's going to give me life. It's going to give me vigor. It's going to give me the wherewithal to do what you're calling me to do," uh, which ties in with our, you know, sanctification in Christ—that we want to see God's glory uh, with the eyes of faith, uh, with through th- through the Scriptures. Um, we want to see that. We want to behold that. We want to apprehend that so that we are transformed and so that we follow the Lord. So that was kind of a long answer to Eden's question. I'm sorry. But it was a good question. So, um, Okay. Uh, we already talked about... Um, so, so at this point, we can give a, um, a definition for God's glory. Um, God's glory is the weight of his intrinsic being. That's kind of the first part. The weight of his intrinsic being. It's kind of the sum total of who God is and the significance of that. But it's also, or, and or, it's the manifestation of that weight. So we go back to the analogy of the sun, right? You think about the significance, the mass, the energies of the sun, right? The kind of core reality of what it is, but then it's manifested, And that's similar with God. It's not only the intrinsic weight of who He is, but He manifests that intrinsic reality. Um, And we've also seen that that manifestation has effects. So when you're thinking about the glory of God, you're thinking about the intrinsic weight of who He is, and then you're thinking also about the display. And just depends on what what the context is leading you to. Is it one or the other? Is it both in the context? It's the intrinsic weight of God's being or the manifestation of that weight. Okay, Um, So now we've got kind of a handle on the sense of what, what do we mean when we talk about God's glory? We're really talking about his intrinsic weight, his significance, and even the manifestation of that significance, the total package of who he is. So we've been focusing on aspects of who he is but you sum all those things up, you sum and beyond those things that we know about, you sum up the full total significance of who God is. We're talking about his glory. And then he displays that. Okay, questions up to this point. Cuz now we're going to we're going to see a few other things about what God says about his glory. Okay. So now, let's fast forward to Isaiah. And we've been in that section, well, we've we've gone many times to that section in Isaiah say, 40 to, you know, 49, um, even beyond that, but where God is kind of talking about how he's going to display that he's the true God over against these false idols that the nations and even Israel are going after. So we get some really great statements uh, in this section where God's just declaring his magnificence. Um, But in relation to his glory, uh, let's look at Isaiah 42.8. So Isaiah is speaking for God, and he says, God's going to send his servant, he's going to put his spirit on him. God's going to do new things. He's going to rescue and in the middle of that we get Isaiah forty-two eight. What does it say? I am the Lord, that
1: is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor
0: my praise to carved idols. Okay, so what is God saying? His glory is his own. Okay, what does that mean? So it's his He's saying, I don't give my glory to any other. What is he saying? It's unique to him. There's, yeah. there's no glory like it. Yeah, it's unique to him. Um, and if we understand that God's glory is the intrinsic weight of who he is, um, he's not going to share that with anyone else. He's not going to parcel out that to anyone else. The flip side of this also, in the thing that, When God manifests his glory, the design of humanity is to reflect back to him that worth. So if you use the light analogy, God's manifesting his glory, but then human beings are created as mirrors to reflect that worth back to him. So if we think about uh, to glorify God, we use that language all the time, what is that? It means to reflect back to him some measure of the weight and honor that is proper to his being. So part of what God's saying here is like, my glory is unique. This is my being, right? I don't, I don't, I don't parcel that out to anyone. And um, but even more, the idea of praise and worship. God's not going to share worship with anyone else because He's unique. He's the one and true living God. Um, now, with that concept in your head, turn to John 17. Um. so I'm going to read John 17 1 through 5 1 through yeah 1 through 5 Okay, so given what we have learned about God's glory, what is really astounding about this passage? Yeah. Yeah, because God doesn't share glory with anyone, but he, Jesus says, you know, I had that glory uh, before the world existed, and then I, I'm, I'm going, in some sense, Jesus doesn't have that right now, because he's incarnate, right, on, our, on earth, and he's going back, and he's ascending, he's like, I want, I, I want that back. <laughs> I, I want that reality back. And so here you see, it's just another avenue of sh- seeing um, that um, Jesus deity, right? That Jesus has that same glory, that intrinsic weight. Now, here, right, Jesus is saying, I, I'm not, in a sense, Jesus isn't experiencing that right now. Because that's why he says, I want to go back and I want to experience that again. Um... So even when you think about that idea of Moses asking, "Show me your glory," right?" Um, and he doesn't get the full blast, but Jesus has, has seen that, and he's experienced that, and he wants it back, right? Because that is where the fullness of life is, is in God's presence, enjoying his glory, basking in that. Um, yeah, but it also shows Jesus' deity here. Right? Uh, yeah, Bruce. mm hmm right yeah 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 sometimes that veil was uh, lifted back a little bit and you could um see like mount transfiguration baptism um that you're seeing some of the manifestation of jesus intrinsic worth um as the son right and um um and Jesus is even saying, you sent me, I glorified you, now glorify your son. So there's this mutual giving of glory, but God doesn't give glory to anyone else. Well, that's true, right? Uh, the, as long as you understand that God is a triune God, the persons can glorify one another without the whole trinity sharing uh, that glory um, with anyone else. So there's a difference between, and as John 17 goes on, like he, Jesus wants his disciples his people whom he's ransoming, to be in that presence. Not to share in, in a, you know, like in a, a, a true full sense, but to experience it, to behold it, to delight in it, um, to bask in it, right? That's what Jesus wants. Um, so, but the, the sort of sharing and glory that Jesus is talking about here in seventeen one through 5 is unique. Now even, so we've kind of, that's just another glimpse to show um, that Trinitarian nature of God's glory and how that figures into even seeing how Jesus has it. Uh, But let's then, we we talk about the, uh, when we talk about the aim of what God does, we always say that God does what he does for his glory, for his praise, for his, for the, not that he increases in his worth, but that that worth is reflected back to him. And since we were just talking about the Father and the Son, let's go ahead and talk, uh, go go and see a passage where you can see that everything is culminating and aiming towards um, the maximal display of God's worth and recognized by human beings, saved and unsaved. Go to Philippians 2. So, someone go ahead and read Philippians 2, 5 through 11.
1: Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is
0: Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so what's going on in this passage? Lots, but in relation to God's glory, what, what's happening? How do we see God's glory in this passage?
1: Well it it was
0: a how do this? Jesus didn't take his godness off. He just Yeah. veiled it. Yeah. It less. <laughs> he he it's cloaked like, it, right? Yeah. Uh, he cloaked it with um, with taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. But focus on the ends of all of this, right? So where did... Okay, so Jesus does that. We see the incarnation, which is amazing, and the humiliation to the cross, which is amazing. We've been seeing that in Matthew. But where's it all headed towards? Uh, Yeah, Bruce. Everybody, every person confessing Christ is... Yeah. Uh, Exactly. Every being, every knee uh every individual every um person um in the heavens on the earth under the earth so this is this is also including angels and uh, demons right uh everything bowing the knee to jesus because god the father gave him the name that is above every name so that's him glorifying the son right because god's glory is tied to his name his name is just uh, uh, the, another way of talking about the sum total of who God is, but then where does it end? How does the passage end? The glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. So, even the glorification of the Son, where every knee is bowing, every tongue confessing, so this is the reflective aspect of God's glory. It's being pushed back even from those who reject or have rejected. But in, uh, but then, what is the sun? even when the Son is glorified, it redounds to God's glory and honor, and really this is this is God's aim in history. Like you could think about it, like right here, that uh, that His magnificence is being reflected back for, to the Son, and then ultimately to the Father. Um, because he's designed all of history, and especially the incarnation and salvation and even rejection and even angels and demons. Like, it's all flowing back to uh, God's glory and honor. Yes, David? Yeah, well, so the, the, and it's what we've been talking about, the path to exaltation is through the path of servanthood. Right? So, Jesus is humiliated on the cross, not as an end in and of itself, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And one day, this scene will happen, even as Jesus said in the midst of his trial last week, right? Uh, uh, from now, from this moment forward, you're going to see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God, and then the, he's going to come... Uh, with the clouds of heaven, um, that, that p- picture of exaltation. But that exaltation for the Son is ultimately going to redound back to the exaltation, the glorification, the reflected, the praise uh, going back and flowing back to the Father. Uh, and of course, uh, we've cited it many times, but just to bears repeating, uh, Romans 11, in Romans 11, you know, Paul's kind of finishing the first major section of his letter, and you know, he's culminated in showing that Jew and Gentile, uh, everything God is doing, uh, he's, he's summing up, he's bringing together, um, and Paul is just worshiping, uh, Romans 11:33 33 through 36, Oh, the depth of the riches, and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments!' And how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him, and through him, and to him, are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That little prepositional phrase, to him, is a way of expressing that everything, the end for which God has made everything is his glory. Which is what Paul then prays, to him be glory forever. Amen. Everything that happens, everything that is, um, is coming back to, to God and to his glory. So when we think about God's glory, it's his intrinsic worth. He manifests that intrinsic worth. He does everything he does to manifest that intrinsic worth. And then the, uh, that gets redounded back to him from the mirrors of his creation and his creatures. Even the ones who reject him and rebel against him because every knee is going to bow but everything eventually comes back to the display, the reflective display of God's glory. So when we talk about God's glory, um, we're really talking about kind of the some total of who God is, its manifestation, his purposes even, um, and uh, the goal of what he has creation for. How does this help us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, perspective. It reorients our world. Uh, the, the world is about God manifesting His excellencies all, in all of their fullness, and that, that manifestation being reflected back to Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why we've been doing this whole thing, right? Knowing God... So we want to know who, if we talk about God uh, knowing us, choosing us, saving us, um, and it's knowing in a salvific way, but then we've been, as we go through the scriptures, um, even as we look at other manifestations of God's revelation, like through creation, et cetera, we come to know more of God's excellencies so that we might be those mirrors, reflect back to him some, some measure, some inkling of the worth. Of his intrinsic worth. We can never do that fully. We don't add to God's glory. We just reflect back what he already has. So, uh, yeah, Bruce? When we can't take pride in what happens
1: to us what we We can also not be mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And part of this all is when we think about the greatest good. The greatest good in the universe is that God be glorified. So when we think about things like suffering or calamity or hardship, which are very real and hard things to go through, um, it doesn't eliminate the hardness, but it does, if we understand that God is for his people, that he is saved and foreknown in a salvific way, uh, that he's working everything for their good, well, what is that good? To be conformed to the image of Christ, but the greatest good is that we could see and bask in God's glory. So even um, though we go through those hard things and difficult things that are painful, we hold on to the hope that we will see the display of God's glory even in that at, one, at some point. Um, and that's our greatest good, to just bask in who God is, to bask in his excellencies, to bask in the life-giving realities of God's glory. Um, Yeah. Well, hopefully that sets your heart up up to worship this morning um, as we go to song and um, word and prayer. So let's go ahead and pray for our gathering. Father, we do thank you um, uh, for who you are and for your glory. We thank you for the language you've given us. Thank you for the pictures you've given us. Um, Lord, help us to comprehend, and not just comprehend, but uh, respond um, to the manifestation of your glory in a right way. Lord, we want to see you. Lord, we know that's the future. We are waiting now. We are waiting to see the fullness of your glory and who you are. We long for that because that's, that's, that's where true life, true happiness, true joy is found Lord, we thank you that we can get um, uh, pictures and uh, glimpses, um, especially through the eyes of faith and through the scriptures of who you are, and even through the world you've created. Uh, Lord, we thank you for those. Help us to truly see who you are and worship you, reflect back to you the worth that you deserve. Um, Even this morning, oh Lord God, as we go to song, um, even as we assemble as the temple, um, even as you manifest your presence, Holy Spirit, amongst your people. Lord, help us to enjoy you, help us to love you, help us to reflect back to you in the singing and the praying and the hearing of your word, some measure of your worth. So we just pray that you would be with us as we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name.